0: My phone's really weird and I I don't think I can turn you down any more than you already are. What, you have
1: me set at the quietest Yeah. You can. Okay, yeah. well that's fine. Then that's yeah. all you can do. I'll just to be honest, it was mostly online that it was bad. That's why you oh, sound okay. like you're talking in space in our last episode. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to I was trying to reread the book today, but I only got about I don't know three quarters of the way through. Yeah, I've only read
0: it once. I'm actually trying to find my copy. i oh, no, the Yeah, I swear, like no matter how much we try and plan this and we give each other, we give ourselves loads of time, we still are underprepared. <laughs> I know. Have we felt like that every time? I can't. I, can't
1: I feel remember. like we
0: have, apart from the very first one where we were overprepared and had written like so many notes. Yeah,
1: and that one didn't even get aired. Mm. <laughs> Cancel realism.
0: the secret one maybe like one day we'll have a competition for all our fans and the winner, that's their prize yeah, we can release it as
1: bonus material
0: yeah um so I need to introduce this one yeah okay, which I shall do imminently (laughs) when I find it okay right, oh so shall I introduce the podcast as well
1: yeah (coughs) oh oh no (laughs) it's okay it's just um some drink went down the wrong way
0: right okay jess if you have a persistent cough throughout this entire recording we can't we can't air it
1: i don't think it's um transmittable through through the internet people won't want to listen to that yeah (laughs) yeah
0: Okay I'll introduce the podcast now. Okay. Um, Hello listeners this is Find the Lit Podcast with Emily and Jess. I have chosen, this is Emily by the way, um, I've chosen this episode's book. It's called Giovanni's Room and it's by an author called James Baldwin. Um, So it was written in 1956 or published in 1956 um, by James Baldwin. He's a famous um, American novelist. Um, I've the only other thing I've read by him is called *The Fire Next Time*, which was kind of more of a non-fiction book. Actually, um, it's more like an es- a long essay. Um, Jess, have you read anything by James Baldwin apart from this
1: book? I've read um, *Go Tell It on the Mountain*, but okay. a long time ago. I got a collection of books when I was a lot younger, probably early teens, which was a banned book collection. So it was mm-hmm. all books like Lolita and stuff like that that had been banned in various countries, and Go Tell It on the Mountain was one of those books. Oh, wow. But I hadn't put two and two together. When I read this book, I didn't know that James Baldwin was the author was of that book, by? although it makes a lot of sense in hindsight.
0: Yeah. I um, I chose it because I had it on my bookshelf and it's just something I haven't read and I definitely had heard of it I think because my friend Catherine had written about it either for her it was either for her dissertation or she wrote about it in an essay and I remember her talking about it so I must have just seen it in a charity shop and like picked it up but never got round to reading it so I thought this would be a good good opportunity yeah
1: um what was the um the book of essays you read
0: by him what were they about fire next time yeah um they're actually, they're, it's like an. They're like essays, but they're actually in the form of a letter. So he's kind of like imagining what he would write in a letter to his nephew, um, and they're they're mainly about like race in America, mm-hmm. um, and then the second bit is about race and religion. So, okay, yeah, yeah. a little bit more what he's known for, perhaps. Yeah, um, go
1: te- go tell it on the mountain. I can't remember. A, I can't remember that much ab- about it, but it's it's about religion, yeah.
0: Primarily, it's um in classic me form. I don't really remember any detail about it, but I do remember the, the feeling, like the emotions I had when I read it, and it blew me away. It wow, was, really? It was amazing. Yeah, I really recommend it. Just like saying it's like an essay just doesn't really do it justice. It's the language is so powerful, and just every sentence is just a joy to read.
1: Wow! To be honest, after reading this book, I want to read everything yeah, he's written. I want to, I want I I everything he's touched. <laughs> I want to yeah. be a part of. He's like the most, like
0: the way he expresses his ideas, and he's just so eloquent and so unique.
1: Mm-hmm. Um. I think this podcast is going to be really evangelical about James Baldwin. <laughs> seriously, his number one fans now. Yeah. Spoilers: I'm giving this book a ten.
0: <laughs> yeah, that might be your first ten.
1: <laughs> it is my first ten. Um,
0: it's definitely not my first. <laughs> well, you're very <laughs> liberal with your ten. <laughs> yeah um okay so shall i try and summarize what it's about do we normally do that
1: yeah yeah yeah
0: yeah. okay um so oh god i don't actually know when it's set 50s i, know, I think yeah it's set it's set i thought it was sort of like in post-world war Two world um it's set mainly in paris um where the main character david moves to in his early 20s um although you do get stories from his past in america um he is uh it's a story it's a story about homosexuality and him well he doesn't really come to terms with it but his experiences of being a gay man in paris um and and what that means to him and the people around him um that was very vague <laughs> <laughs> but that's the general gist um Giovanni the person in the title Giovanni's room is an Italian bartender who he meets um, and ends up having a a, re- a relationship with um, so I don't really need to ask did you think it was good because we've already said that it was the best thing we've ever read <laughs>
1: one of the best things i've ever read
0: but did you enjoy the reading experience because i know in previous episodes we've kind of complained about the fact that we always pick things that are really depressing and like hard to read or sad
1: so this is i'm so happy to be able to say that i loved every minute i read this book (laughs) (laughs) i enjoyed it so much um yeah i read it in about probably two sittings i mean it is very very short I wish it was longer, actually, um but yeah, really, really enjoyed it, it was,
0: yeah, yeah i I kind of couldn't put it down. I was almost it felt a little bit like I was sort of really feverish, like you know when you just you can't like read quick enough, like mm-hmm. you just want to take it all in and you just can't really stop,
1: yeah, and I mean it's it's in line with kind of stuff we've chosen in the sense that it's it's a very dark story, and there's still mm-hmm. a lot of those themes going on which are pretty much as dark as you can get but the reading experience was a dream
0: yeah yeah definitely I think that's why it's enjoyable isn't it because the way he puts sentences together and expresses people's like inner thoughts and just the subtle like movements of someone's facial expression and what that means and just every sentence was just great I really really like the first sentence oh what is it um so the so and I and it's almost like you kind of have to read it twice because it's a bit confusing at first but it's just brilliant the first sent- sentence is I stand at the window of this great house in the south of France as night falls the night which is leading me to the most terrible morning of my life
1: wow yeah the narrator loves he's he's very hyp- hyperbolic <laughs> <laughs> Everything is the most terrible version of this, or the most yeah. awful thing, or the... that.
0: Pro- that will be the most terrible morning of his life, though. Worlds well, well, fair, yeah, that's thus yeah. far, and that's like. Um, so, it's quite it's quite interesting that that's the first sentence because it's a really the way that it's constructed and the plot is quite strange because there is you can't really there's no spoilers for this really because you know like what happens from the very beginning. And it's almost like looking back on the events leading up to what you know is going to happen. Um,
1: yeah, you learn so much about the story up front. It's almost yeah. like he summarises it, and then he yeah. goes back and fills in the details.
0: And I almost yeah. found
1: myself like not wanting the narrator to tell me so much. It felt like someone else was telling me, and I was like, no, 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 I want to. Yeah, I want to find it out as it happens. But
0: yeah, well, I because so basically, you, you find out that Giovanni ends up. Um, committing a crime although you don't actually know what the crime is but it results in the death penalty and him being executed and that's what David the main narrator is referring to in that first sentence it's the morning that he knows Giovanni's going to get killed Um, I feel like as a reader you're sort of like just so like you just want to know how it gets to that point and you're almost like a bit sort of eager to see the downfall in a way yeah like you know that something really bad's gonna happen but you can't draw your eyes away from it like you can't tear your eyes away from it you want to see how it gets to that point and how they go from this kind of loving relationship to it ending up like that
1: definitely and it infuses the whole thing with with a sense of tragedy the entire way through because you never feel that kind of you can never fully succumb to the hope and the optimism of their relationship because yeah. you already know this you know is it's not going to end well.
0: <laughs> do you think, like, do you think it was inevitable what happened in the end? Like, do you think there was any way it could have been different?
1: No, I I think it's absolutely inevitable. Do you? Yeah, because, and I'll tell you why, I don't think it's inevitable from Giovanni's point of view, I think it's inevitable from David's point of view. David's the narrator, okay. right? And yeah. His character, I really, I was really torn over him, because on one hand, I obviously massively sympathised with him, and and found him quite witty, and, you know, I could relate to a mm. lot of the stuff, obviously, in in a more kind of just... way he interacts with people and the way he's so desperate to please people but I found him very duplicitous Mm. in a way that I could kind of relate to and I was like oh I've definitely done that you know but (laughs) he is the ultimate kind of it's just such an honest depiction of human weakness and in that sense I was like sympathetic with him but I, I did find myself judging him
0: yeah, because in a way it's not... Even though it's a tragedy, it doesn't have to end that way. Like, you, I, I found myself thinking, oh, gosh, he's so selfish because... Yeah. He basically, like, him and Giovanni have this, like, incredibly real, like, honest love affair and then his American um, girlfriend comes back into the picture and he basically just leaves Giovanni without any like, acknowledgement of where he's going. He does, like, Giovanni doesn't even know where he is and basically cuts all ties. And then Giovanni's kind of financial situation spirals out of control and he ends up committing murder. Mm-hmm. Um But, like, you kind of think if David had treated him better or intervened in some way or helped him in some way, then he wouldn't have ended up in that situation. He wouldn't have had to die. And I kept thinking, like, stop being so selfish. Like, you're literally in the same country... Like, knowing this is happening and you're not doing anything about it.
1: I know. But it's then fun. you're
0: right, it's, it's quite a realistic representation of somebody in his position. And I feel like he's always just running away from things.
1: Definitely. I think his whole identity is split down the middle. Or, you know, he has this real kind of painful kind of chasm in him, or almost vacuum, where you know, he has this, quite early on we learn about his first sexual sexual encounter with a boy, and that almost kind of, it's almost like from that moment on he's never the same, and there's just this kind of weird void in him, because he chooses to push that side of him away, and he has yeah. this identity of, you know, I want to, I want to get married to a woman, I want to have kids, I want that stability, you know all those things that your society teaches you you should want and therefore your desires are built around those things but then when his body doesn't comply with that he has such self-disgust and I don't know, you, you can't yeah. really blame him for not being the one to save Giovanni because obviously no. it's not a it's almost not a choice. It's not a kind of moral if he had more moral strength he'd be able to do it kind of thing. You know, it's he's so damaged by it and in so much pain from it that it's it is kind of inevitable and Giovanni is obviously on a spiral downwards anyway, right? So when he gets invited Mm. back to Giovanni's room and his room is all chaotic and disorganised and squalid and and stuff, that is a a reflection on the chaos in in Giovanni's soul or life or psyche or whatever. And he Mm. wants David to save him from that, but David's never going to be that person.
0: (laughs) And I think Giovanni his like redemption or the way he feels that he can be saved is to make something real out of his life and by like truly like loving another man um and I think he I think he sees that as a possibility and he sees that it can be something that doesn't have to be shameful whereas I think it's inevitable it's going to end up badly because David can't envisage that he can't like envisage a life with another man that isn't full of self-loathing and shame and like hatred and disgust at himself and the other person Mm -hmm. which he feels the entire time even when he's like feeling alive and full of joy and love and tenderness he feels all of those things
1: yeah yeah but he's and it swings from one to the other where well he doesn't but the the novel does where it's like that one of the most fascinating things about this was its depiction of not even love but just sex and the kind of yeah. paradoxes within sex in that it's it's kind of on one on one hand this liberating almost kind of cleansing spiritual experience which is meant to be synonymous with love and that's something which transcends the body and transcends anything physical but on the other hand sex is this thing which is dirty and you know happens in the body so it's imperfect and grotesque and yeah it's just such a contradiction
0: yeah I agree I think for me like one of the saddest parts of the book was actually the the explanation of his first like his having sex for the first time with that that other teenager I can't remember his name now Um, is it Joey Joey yeah yeah, because to me that was just, like, where it all starts going wrong in the way he responds to it. Because they're, like, these two... they You know, they're, like, 16 or whatever. They're sort of teenagers and they... And it's one summer holiday and they become really close and they, are like, they have a lot of affection for each other and then it ends up with them having sex. And the way he describes it was it was, like, this really beautiful moment mm-hmm. where they were, like, so, like tender with each other and full of like care and love even though you know it was like essentially a one-night stand but just the experience of that connection with another person and those feelings and then in the morning he like is so disgusted with what's happened that he basically doesn't speak to him again and ends up just sort of joining in with the bullies when they bully him I feel like it all it all like it all went wrong there because he basically turned his back on that part of him yeah and internalized all this like disgust at his own feelings and his own body and his own mind and then since then had just been trying to live up to this ideal of masculinity in America and heteronormative behavior and yeah it's just sad that it had to, that it
1: happened like that yeah i think a lot of the, that a lot of what happens in the books well begs the question of what is the difference between because sex can on one hand it can be that that thing that he experienced with joey where it's infused with love and it's almost like this transcendent experience but it can be something which is which is kind of immoral or dirty And what is it that that differentiates the two things? And, you know, what? one moment where that is really pertinent is when he is freaking out about the fact that his female, almost fiancé, is coming to Paris. He's in the middle of this love affair with Giovanni, and he freaks out and just wants to sleep with a woman, almost to just, I guess, try and rein himself back in or prove that he is heterosexual or, I I don't know. Um, Mm. And he sleeps with that woman, Sue. And that whole encounter is just painful to read because it's so, on the surface it's just two people having sex but when you know what's going on inside his head and how little he cares about her and his descriptions of her it's so humiliating and just. And he says at one point, he says um, I was thinking that what I did with Giovanni could not possibly be more immoral than what I was about to do with Sue. Mm. He's telling himself that. Or that's how
0: society would see it.
1: I I saw that as like he. Wait, hang on. Let me read it again. Maybe I have misunderstood it.
0: Oh, what are you saying that? What? So he's admitting that what he's going to do with Sue is more immoral.
1: Yeah. So he's about oh, okay, sleep yeah. with Sue for to essentially use her, and which is the, probably the most immoral reason you can have sex with yeah. someone. And he's like, how can me be doing? You know, doing this even though yeah. I'm sleeping with a woman be more moral than what I'm doing with Giovanni, which is um is is an act done out of love and yeah. ultimately care for someone. And there's a bit when um the one of the best parts of the book is when he's talking to Jacques, Jacques mm. that, and he's this okay. older guy who's in his fifties, and they call them like fairies. Yeah, which is is that like a homophobic like slur for? I don't really know I what think- it means.
0: I think it's like a slur, but they kind of use it. They used it as well, like gay people called other gay people fairies.
1: But they they do use it in a disparaging way, though, towards the old, the old yeah. men who are kind of who who can only pay pay young boys yeah. to have sex with them.
0: Because I thought now it's almost used to describe like effeminate people. Yeah.
1: Okay. But then
0: I yeah I think then it, in the, this context it is it's for those like older men who. Who, pay, who kind of pay young men to hang around with them and have sex with them.
1: Yeah. but And they're, they're portrayed as being quite disgusting and mm. dirty and all of these things. But Jack says to him in the bar, when it's kind of become obvious that he fancies Giovanni and David's kind of resisting it and getting quite defensive and angry towards mm. Jack, He Jack comes back and says something which... I feel like is kind of at the heart of like the whole sex question. He says, Love him and let him love you. Do you think anything else under heaven really matters? And how long at the best can it last since you are both men and still have everywhere to go? Only five minutes, I assure you. And if you think of them as dirty, then they will be dirty. They will be dirty because you will be giving nothing. You will be despising your flesh and his. But you can make your time together anything but dirty. You can give each other something which will make both of you better forever. If you will not be ashamed if you will only not play it safe he paused watching me and then looked down at his cognac you play it safe long enough he said in a different tone and you'll end up trapped in your own dirty body forever and ever and ever like me
0: oh yeah i wrote down that exact quote as well yeah it's it says so much about how everything we do even the like the physical and the and the body is so tied up with it sounds very really basic, but like so tied up with social norms and what's considered pure and what's considered dirty and what's considered wrong. Yeah. And he's basically saying like if you if you succumb to all of those things, then you will turn into that and you will be kind of shame like you will be shameful and you will be dirty. You have to kind of like let yourself love another person. But he he can't really do it, can he?
1: Yeah, it's like a self fulfilling prophecy because if David can't be intimate enough to love someone and feel affection towards the person that he's having sex with, then it's bound to become just a kind of animalistic, emotionless act. Mm. And he will end up like there's a lot of this kind of thing where he sees or he's scared of becoming what Jacques is.
0: Yeah. And also, like, that's what I found really quite sad about it is that because of the way, like, society wasn't, it, it, you know, it didn't accept gay relationships, they were, like, they are forced into these kind of situations that you would look upon as, like, dirty, like, you know, these older men kind of having to have these younger guys around... And or like having to have kind of like secret encounters like in alleys and stuff like that Mm. it's like that's not intrinsic to the fact that it's a a same-sex relationship it's because that's like they're so the the options are so limited like the freedoms are so limited but it's almost like made it, it in his head it kind of makes it seem like it's because they're two men
1: yeah yeah it's like it doesn't make people stop doing it. It just rids them of their like their dignity and their ability to be able to do it Yeah. in, in the open.
0: It was interesting. I read a quote that um, from James Baldwin in an interview that he said in 1996. He said, the book is not so much about homosexuality. It is what happens if you are so afraid that you finally cannot love anybody. Which is kind of like what we're saying in a way. Is actually the fact that David can't allow himself to properly love someone else
1: no he can't love hella and he can't love giovanni yeah
0: do you think it's because we do get a bit of a sort of potted history of his life and i wonder do you think it's the book saying that it's specifically because of his experiences that he's that way or is he more of a a representation of like america because he he loses his mother when he's a kid so he goes through that like loss His father is like emotionally unavailable, but kind of wants to pretend like they're best friends, but just wants him to be a man. Um, I don't know whether it's like those sort of like family, that family history is like what drives him away from being honest with himself or if it's actually just representative of America.
1: I think there's definitely a way you could read it on an individual level in terms of, you know, a psychotherapist could look at his life and point to things. But that's really interesting you say that about America, because that comes up quite a few times in the book. The fact he's American and comparing Mm. the new world to the old world.
0: Yeah, it's weird because it's completely like set in Paris and it is really evocative of Paris at that time. Yeah, the way it like describes the streets and the bars and the markets but it's all about America really isn't it
1: yeah and about the the difference in America to that to that world like he says to Giovanni when they first meet he says that Paris is looking back at its past when you're in Paris you're seeing its past or something and when you're in yeah. New York you're seeing its future you're seeing the potential for, for the future and that is that was quite a like poetic way of describing the difference mm. I think but like in Europe, it, you are surrounded by the past, and America is a lot more... It's impressive because it's so futuristic.
0: <laughs> yeah, and it's so new. Yeah. Do you think, then, like, his, the, his like, self thing, is, like, because he's American? Because I feel like Giovanni has such a different attitude to his homosexuality.
1: Yeah, he seems... Giovanni seems a lot more fluid and i don't know whether he's pretending but he just almost it acts like he doesn't get what the issue is that when david says oh hella's coming back you know she'd be upset if she knew about this and he's like well what's the issue
0: yeah um i
1: don't know and that's almost a bit of a i guess he's italian but it's a bit of a french cliche isn't it (laughs) to be that kind of (laughs) liberal when it comes to sex and lovers and stuff
0: yeah he's kind of just like well you can have an affair doesn't everyone
1: (laughs) Yeah, I don't know, maybe... I mean, definitely there's this thing with his dad where his dad is this very masculine character who is going out womanising and stuff, so maybe he feels some kind of pressure mm. with that, and maybe that is more prevalent in America. I don't know.
0: I think as well, like, going back to the sort of American... Like you said, it's all about the new. I think that there's this, there was, or maybe there still is, like this feeling in america like the the main pursuit of life is happiness and almost like innocence and that for giovanni it's not like that like he he basically says like yeah life is shit like you just have to make the most of it in one way i think he kind of yeah. says that yeah in so many words whereas with america it's all about like you know everything's about happiness which is a complete like myth and self-deception Especially given, like, the time it's set of, like, racial segregation and, and everything going on in America. It's all, it's all kind of false, isn't it? It's based on this idea of, like, an innocent land and innocent people. And I think it's the, the girlfriend's character who kind of talks about that, H- Hella, She says, towards the end, Americans should never come to Europe. It means they can never be happy again what's the good of an American who isn't happy? Happiness was all we had.
1: Yeah. I hadn't even written that quote down, but that's really good.
0: So I feel... It's it's hard to, like, put it, piece it all together, but I feel like James Baldwin is kind of saying, like, obviously everything about America is based on myths of the Virgin Land. Well, it wasn't because they had to massacre Native Americans and then slavery and and everything like that and the inequalities that existed there but despite all of that going on at the same time it's Americans kind of see themselves as like the white Americans see themselves as like the innocents Mm. and like and actually you're supposed to be happy in life and so maybe David can't like he can't balance that belief with then being with Giovanni because it would mean basically in a way unhappiness it's like he'd rather have like an, em- an a morally empty life, or like an empty inner life, if he can ha- if he can still live up to this facade of
1: yeah, American yeah. happiness. And that it's acting on a kind of metaphor, like on quite a big scale, and well, on different levels as well, because you've got it between America and Europe, and he goes to Europe, and he says at the beginning that when he went to Europe, it was almost like he was escaping, mm-hmm. but in reality, he knows that he was almost doing that because he knew he would be able to live out a side of him that that mm. that could that he couldn't explore in America. And so he's able to do that. And I think, is it, how do you say that name, that French name, Guillaume? The one who runs the oh, bar, God. who hires Giovanni.
0: That Giovanni murders? Yeah. I did that thing where I just kind of went, Good. in my head when I read it's it. It's got L it. in the middle. It's like, yeah. it's like Gu- Guillaume or something, isn't yeah. it? Willem, no, <laughs> oh, I can't find it on the know, page now. But the
1: the bar owner, he obviously fancies Giovanni and doesn't like yeah. David. Um, and he says to Giovanni that David is gonna just he's just come to Europe and he's just doing all the stuff he can't do in America and he's gonna go back and you know leave him. And David talks like that to Giovanni, he's like, Well, you know, one day I am gonna go back. It's like, mm. I'm just doing this. Where I can, and then the kind of on the level below that—that's what Giovanni's room symbolises. Like that's where they're able to live out their relationship the way they want, and outside of that room, they're not able to.
0: Mm. And that's why there's some really weird descriptions of the room because as he starts as this kind of self-loathing kicks in the room becomes more and more like disgusting in the way it's described Mm. like with like food everywhere and just being really dirty and messy but kind of at the beginning it was almost like this safe space for them to
1: yeah and this is why I think it's what happens to them is inevitable because he goes into the room and that's already in a state of chaos which is Giovanni's you know, mind, or, you know, he's he's not yeah. okay mentally, which nice. is hinted at, or pretty much you know that. Um, and he wants David to come in and change his life. And David kind of tries to tidy the room a little bit, but, you know, everything he does is superficial. He can't really make much, any real difference. And then Giovanni has this thing about trying to make the room you know, trying to work on the room. He starts knocking bricks out to make a bookcase, and he's trying to make the room somewhere David will want to be. Mm. But he ultimately fails. And so this space where their relationship is possible, they're they're both kind of trying to make it a place they can both be, but they're never... It's kind of doomed from the start. Like They're never going to be able to make that room livable. I
0: think they're also, like... By being in that room, they're also like escaping all those, the the other people in the gay community. Because I think they, especially David, he hates the way that the other characters kind of look at them and almost like, because they almost can see what's going on. And he feels like they're like kind of putting him into this category of like, oh, we finally, like we finally found out he's gay because he's kind of been trying to deny it all along. And, I think they just don't, they don't, like, he doesn't want anyone else to see them together. Like, he wants to be truly alone.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, he's a massive homophobe. <laughs> so he hates he himself like, as well. He doesn't like them. It, he's just, he's disgusted by anyone who's kind of yeah. non-conventional in that way. And that's why he hates himself. And yes, he doesn't want to look at them because he's basically yeah looking at himself in a way
0: so at the so at the end he so he basically he leaves Giovanni but then and decides to marry Hella, but then she he he ends up having sex with a, a sailor I think and oh yeah. and she kind of walks in on him they're not having sex but she kind of turns up somewhere where he's like talking to the same yeah him, and it's just really and it's obviously like really obvious what's going on so anyway she leaves him in the end so actually he's it is the point of the novel saying like you can't you can't like run away forever or there's some things like you can't actually just get away from like you can't just erase your past because he I
1: mean yeah what do you think happens to David after the end of this book I don't know. Because I feel like even he is basically admitting that he's going to become one of those men who just, you know, follows these boys down dark alleys yeah. and has these meaningless sexual encounters with them. And it's almost because, because he, he gave
0: up on Giovanni.
1: Yeah, and, well, he says he loved, he did genuinely love him and he probably will never love anyone like that again. Yeah,
0: because he's you you like the book ends with him being like completely like immobilized by guilt by grief for what's happened to Giovanni yet like his desire is still there so yeah it does hint that he's going to end up kind of not like allowing his heart to love again but still pursuing that because of his like physical desires quite sad really
1: it's really sad and it's it's kind of it would be sad if he was with Giovanni and then that was his I don't know they were both in love and it was this idealistic thing and then this horrible thing happened to Giovanni but it's in a way it's like more tragic the fact that he had already left Giovanni so he had already gone and tried to force himself into this mold that he's so desperate to yeah. to fit into and then that thing happens to Giovanni and then it's It's like, well, I'm never going to love like that again. You know, he screwed it all up. He almost... He sees his part in Giovanni dying, Mm. as in he sees him as instrumental to his downfall kind of thing. Um, And it's just he's... He's just set up to never be able to have a meaningful, functional relationship.
0: Yeah. Do you think there's, like, any hope in this novel, then? Or any... I don't know. Is it all just
1: sad and inevitable? It's weird when you say that because I want to say no, but then I don't feel like it's a not optimistic novel either. It's weird because
0: I feel like there's hope in, in the sense that you get carried along with like the parts of the novel where they're just in love and it's really kind of like it's quite like uplifting to read that because it is just the way he describes it It is like reading just about two young people falling in love which is wonderful it almost gives you a bit of hope that like that can be if that was allowed to like flourish or allowed to exist and have its freedom then that would just be I don't know
1: I think I think actually yeah there is there is hope because it quite strongly makes the case for things being a different way yeah I- and it does that it does that through the stuff J- Jack says and it does it through just very you know the odd witty thing Giovanni says mm. I wrote down something he said when they're talking about the fact that David says to him that America in America homosexuality is a crime even though it wasn't in in, in France yeah. at that time, and he says, You know, it is a crime in my country. And Giovanni says, If your countrymen think that privacy, privacy is a crime, so much for the worse for your country. Which is such mm. a funny thing to say, and so pertinent as well, because it hits on exactly what is so absurd about America. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, the very yeah. bedrock of the American ideology is that like, the right of the individual, that it's libertarianism which allows anyone to own a gun or a tiger or do whatever the hell they want and if someone were to interfere with that then it's you know blasphemous to to the constitution or whatever but heaven forbid a man has sex with another man um even if nobody sees it and it doesn't endanger anyone yeah it's it's such a massive hypocrisy and like just through stuff like that i feel like this novel makes the case for yeah this is just absurd it makes it makes
0: the the case that like well firstly like that yes two men can love each other as deeply and as in a real way as anyone which you know lots of people don't think that and then yeah and like you said it it makes the case for it like terrible things happen when you try and stop people (laughs) being who they are and right and like towards the beginning um jack says oh what what does he say He says, um, your father or mine should have told us that not many people have ever died of love, but multitudes have perished and are perishing every hour and in the oddest places for the lack of it. So it's kind of just like, again, like the people get so fucked up mentally and psychologically and then that spreads out into these ripples in the world because they're like not able to love or love themselves
1: or. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think that the the optimism of the novel is kind of a reflection of of um Baldwin's own pessimism and optimism. I don't know how far you got in that documentary, which for listeners is a film called I Am Not Your Negro. It was released last year and is basically lots of different images and videos with a narration over the top and the words are from an unfinished James Baldwin manuscript. It's really good. Yeah, definitely worth watching. I've got like half an hour left. Okay, have you seen the bit where he says? Because basically, Baldwin was—I was, don't know—he was a part of the civil rights movement in America, and he knew kind of Martin mm. Luther King and um, Malcolm X. And Malcolm X, and what was the other guy's name? Oh no. yeah, I hadn't—I hadn't, I hadn't no. actually heard of him. Yeah, I've forgotten his name. No, somebody. But I feel like he's the kind of person he knows what's wrong with America better than anyone and can articulate it so Mm. well and that should make him a pessimist and at one point in that film he kind of says you know things are not great and things are not going to be great but I'm alive and therefore I'm an optimist because I have to be because I'm alive (laughs) and it's like basically things are really shit but if you're going to be alive you have to hope that there is another way. And I think he was an idealist in the sense that he could see a way that, that 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 could happen. And also because he's an he's a writer,
0: so he like he's got to have don't know he's got this like amazing way of expressing all of this like with his mind and his words. Like something in him must drive him to write this, and like that must be like some kind of hope.
1: Definitely this is an interesting thing Why? so he is a black American man Mm. Um, why did he write only about white characters in this book
0: yeah I was wondering that well firstly obviously he doesn't have to write about black people because he's black but everything else he writes is so focused on race he did yeah so I tried to like see if he'd said anything about that and he did say in an interview that it basically, it was impossible for him to tackle both race and sexuality at once. So, the yeah. simple answer is like he just chose that one. <laughs> he chose sexuality to write about. But I think race is still there in the novel. Because, Do you? yeah, because Giovanni is. I haven't written down. I haven't written this down, but I feel like Giovanni is quite. is like described in quite like um racial terms like there's a lot of emphasis on his like darker skin and he's from Italy which like at that time or around that time like even in America like Italians weren't really considered white in the same way as as like um Anglo-Saxon people Mm -hmm. and like you know like Irish people in America were like seen as a lesser race than the white people. So I think maybe there's something about that there like because I was yeah. kind of trying to think why did they make why did he make Giovanni like Italian and not just a French guy or there must have been something about it. Yeah. I think maybe maybe like there's a comment about race there and also the fact that I think it works really well that David is a is a white american. Because part of his his whole problem is because he's an American, because he's a white American, and the things I was saying before about how it's like this: your whole identity is kind of tied up with this, like turning away from reality.
1: Or like yeah, that's true. Or like and the he truth. Is, he's the kind of blonde white American, you know, yeah. almost poster child of. <laughs> of that American dream kind of
0: thing. Maybe, um, like, he's got... Because of that, he's privileged enough to be able to try and, like, have an easy, happy life. And could go through his life ignoring, like, the actual situation around him and not really even thinking about his own identity in terms of America, like... As a white person, he probably wouldn't have really had... He wouldn't have really, like, looked at that face on as much because... He doesn't have to walk outside and think about his race in the same way that black people would have done then.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I feel like there's a, there is a lot of um, well, class is touched it on obviously, in in this book and the mm. the way that the rich patron, dirty old men, have the money <laughs> and the ability to basically cast off these guys that's basically what happens to giovanni is like that wouldn't mm-hmm. have happened to him if he'd had money right and these these guys are basically at the mercy of these older rich men
0: yeah who hate themselves for doing it but they do it anyway and yeah and like the main character david he he kind of doesn't have money in paris but he's like a rich kid who then can write home to his dad who'll send him money yeah. So again it's almost like his privilege just gets him out of things all the time and he can kind of keep putting his past behind him and kind of like running away from stuff.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: And thinks he has and thinks he has like choice and control over what goes on and like he can choose to be happy. Um whereas I think at one point Giovanni they're talking about like time and Giovanni's like laughing about it because he he basically says like we don't have that kind of choice and and basically says oh you're such an American
1: (laughs) I love all the kind of wisecracks about Americans
0: (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah he's getting like so annoyed about it in his head
1: (laughs) there's a bit where David goes into the post office or like the American is it the American embassy or something I don't know it's where all the Americans are gathered to get their post, anyway. And he describes it and says, like, he looks in and, you know, whereas if he was in America, he'd be able to distinguish accents and particular things like that. He walks in and everyone just seems like they've got off a flight from Nebraska.
0: <laughs> I do remember that bit. And actually, like, I think there's, yeah, there's, there's a lot about, like, he kind of misses America in a way because he still feels like that's his home and he understands it so intimately, but I kind of think because of what's happened to him, even if he did physically go back to America, it's it's not really going to be home in the same way. Like, yeah. his home now is basically just in his head, all the guilt and the turmoil.
1: Yeah, he it's this kind of comfort that he thinks he can go back to a time before he had, or before he was succumbing to his desires or whatever that he sees as dirty. Yeah, which yeah, America is the perfect symbol for that because it's this like meant to be this clean, fresh star and yeah, innocent like you said. Have you got anything
0: else? Oh, I guess like there's another whole bit. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I didn't really like. I didn't really know what I wanted to say about it, but it was. But we don't have to like keep this bit in. But it was towards the end when um him and uh Hella, his fiance. A kind of arguing and talking and she talks loads about like being a woman um and how she she like wants to be like somebody's housewife and she feels like she in order to be free she has to be attached to something yeah and I don't really know if he was if he was making a comment just on like what you know like in terms of gender like what what it would have been like to be a woman at that time or he was thinking that would apply to other things as well
1: yeah it's weird because there's quite a lot of um misogyny through the
0: Mm. mouths
1: of the characters in this book or you know there's a lot of women hating going on yeah there
0: is like him and giovanni joke about like that you should like hit your hit your wife and stuff
1: yeah and giovanni's taking the piss out of basically feminists
0: yeah yeah and saying that they shouldn't be equal
1: yeah. I really liked that bit where she was talking like that. Yeah. One bit I wrote down was she was she was saying that now that they were engaged and they were gonna be married, she said from now on I can have a wonderful time complaining about being a woman, but I won't be terrified that I'm not one. I mean it's almost mm. like that women can only define themselves against a man. But then yeah. I was thinking, but that's the same for David. Like he can he wants to define himself against a woman. He wants to go home to a woman, and he he literally describes it. He wants to go home to a woman and be renewed by her. So, like everything she's
0: saying, he's feeling as well the other way around. Yeah, yeah, because she base yeah because her fear is like that she wouldn't be considered feminine or a woman.
1: Yeah,
0: a proper woman, and the only way she can do that is so is to have a husband, even if she hates him or she's unhappy. It's then she's tied down with that identity and then she can go off and be intelligent and learn things and do stuff but always with that acceptance that she's a wife
1: and that frees her. Yeah and the security that she will feel like a woman and be perceived as a woman which men would have as well if they have a wife then they're going to be perceived as a man they're going to be able to go home to their wife and have dinner there and make love to her whatever and be a man and have their masculinity yeah. kind of propped up in <laughs>
0: that way? it's almost like she has more freedom because she's a wife, so she can push boundaries more like she says like oh i'll well, um I won't stop being intelligent. I'll read and argue and think and all that. It's like she if she was doing all of that, but she was single, people would kind of there would be a lot of judgment, and she would be like desexualized and ungendered or something. Mm-hmm. And and also like if she's married, then she can kind of flirt more with other men and stuff because she can like push those boundaries. But they know she's married. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a really funny bit there because um, she says no. He says to her, "What's your beef?" Then <laughs> she's got, "I've got no beef." <laughs> it just seems so out of place. <laughs>
1: No, I was reading that like okay, is that I thought it was a more modern thing than that. No, no, it's really not. <laughs> At
0: least seventy years
1: old. <laughs> Can you believe that they were guillotining people in the fifties in Paris? By the way, I
0: yeah, I I was quite confused by that as well. That's guillotine. That really, that's so yeah.
1: extra.
0: I know it's so. I actually like. I I was. I didn't really know anything about like history and i assumed that he was going to get executed because he was gay and that it was like oh, yeah. capital punishment or something but then i looked it up and found out that france has had like really like um the, the most like liberal laws around homosexuality out of a lot of countries. i just
1: looked up when the last execution using the guillotine was in france yeah. when do you think it was
0: or well, is it like in the 50s or is it
1: later later the 60s 1977 my god <laughs> that's so weird there was
0: television then i know color television um, i actually i thought that was only from like the 19th century or something
1: i know it's, it just makes me think of the french revolution i don't think yeah the guillotine
0: past then
1: <laughs> i mean like i'm
0: completely fine with capital punishment if it's the electric chair <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's way more humane. <laughs> <laughs> the guillotine.
0: Did people like? Was it in like the town square and everyone crowds around watches?
1: I mean, that's the way you imagine it, but maybe yeah, it was done wasn't. like the way the electric chairs done or whatever. I don't know. Um, it's so weird. But speaking of decades, though, this this book is so typically, it's so typical of those books set in the fifties. Where like everyone is constantly drinking <laughs> and smoking. <Yeah. laughs> they're like the only thing they drink is cognac. They're well, just, they like... drink like yeah, wine
0: as well. Oh yeah, wine.
1: Well, that's but, yeah, yeah that's good... they have
0: it for breakfast. I get so I got so confused about timings because they'd like basically were always nocturnal. I know. And they'd have like oysters and wine for <laughs> breakfast. they would go out and
1: be drinking cognac all night smoking until dawn and then they would go for breakfast and like when they went for breakfast in that first bit where he meets Giovanni I was like oh okay this is good they're gonna have a big fry up and like a big mug (laughs) of tea and Giovanni's like oh white wine and oysters yeah the best thing after such a night no yeah like some of that stuff made me feel quite queasy me too I was like I just want you to have a big glass of water and get an early night. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I feel like it's that's really common of like um novels about American expats. And I feel like that if if I was more well read I'd be able to compare it to those other famous ones, but I haven't read any of them.
1: Yeah, I can't think of things off the top of my head to name, but i just I feel like I've just read so many books that are set in that yeah. kind of era where they're just, the only thing they drink is, like, whiskey, and they're just smoking, like, chimneys. It's like, how did you... Oh, God, how how did yeah. you feel remotely healthy? I would just feel like shit all the time. I don't think they did feel healthy.
0: But they never really got to the point of being hungover, did they? No, so probably not. They are just always slightly drunk. Do you have anything else you wanted to say?
1: Um, The only things I had written down was just a bit about like oh well like one of my favorite bits in it was another thing Jacques said <laughs> yeah where he says nobody can stay in the garden of Eden Jacques said and then I wonder why which kind of for me was summed up a lot of what the novel was about mm. but also just the hatred of uh, the hatred of the body and the there's a there's a big kind of reoccurring imagery through it of of death and the body and the flesh and and, and that starts in the beginning where his mum has died and he's imagining her or she's in his nightmares um, and she's basically a corpse and he describes the memory of Joey after they've slept together he says, mm. while I never thought about it it remained nevertheless at the bottom of my mind as still and, and as awful as a decomposing corpse um he talks about mm. his flesh like his father's flesh being as unregenerate as unregenerate as my own um and yeah just the body is being dirty and he describes people as being yeah. like receptacles for all the world's dirt and disease.
0: yeah definitely a lot of like dampness and sweatiness and... yeah
1: yeah and that's just like a reflection of the fact his body is almost like black like betrays him um because it goes against everything he wants to be. And there's that mm. conflict, that internal conflict. Yeah, at one point, like, because at the beginning
0: when he's he's imagining what it would be like for Giovanni in prison. Um, and he says, his face, the colour of his face brought to mind darkness and dampness. I felt that if one could cut him, his flesh would be the flesh of mushrooms.
1: I, yeah, I love that. It's not good for
0: people who don't like mushrooms. or it's worse people who do like mushrooms because I love mushrooms but now I think of Giovanni's face yeah it's yeah those bits are really powerful when you read them because they're always like contrasted with these moments of joy and like you know like him looking at Giovanni's face and sort of like seeing the happiness and the aliveness and feeling really good about it
1: yeah it's just the really really thin line between the two there's this one bit where he says Giovanni's face, which I had memorised so many mornings, noons and nights, hardened before my eyes, began to give in secret places, began to crack. The light in the mm. eyes became a glitter. The wide and beautiful brow began to suggest the skull beneath. It's like yeah. there's there's a skull beneath the thing he finds so yeah. beautiful and angelic. And I think that's the most interesting thing for me in this. It's like the constant push and pull between something which is so spiritual and so otherworldly almost as love, which is as, you know, as high as a human can get. But it's so closely connected with the body, which is mortal and about death and sweat and hair and blood and all those disgusting things. But they come together in this act, (laughs) which is
0: sex. Yeah. It's really like there's a, like you said, there's a lot of like animalistic descriptions and he he just like oh yeah I found it actually he says the beast which Giovanni had awakened in me would never go to sleep again but one day I would not be with Giovanni anymore it's just like like the beast so yeah, sinister yeah, yeah. and then he says further down with this fearful intimation there opened in me a hatred for Giovanni which was as powerful as my love and which was nourished by the same roots
1: That's the other thing, the really thin line between love and hate. Oh, it's just such a good book.
0: It's just, I don't know whether we've got it across to people listening, but it's just, it's written so, like, the writing is just so amazing. Yeah. Just every sentence is just a joy to read.
1: Probably the only time we've done it justice is when we've been reading quotes from it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Probably haven't been reading them right.
0: Spent, we should have just spent an hour reading it. (laughs) And then people would have been hooked and they'd have to go out and buy it and read the rest.
1: Go out and buy it and read it. so amazing.
0: Yeah. Okay, so, unless you've got anything else. I haven't, I've basically covered everything in my notes.
1: Yeah, I
0: don't think I've got anything else. I was just going to say, like, if, like, if they'd met now... Or if this would this had happened like now in contemporary culture, things would be different. But I also sadly think this like is happening every day. Obviously not maybe not someone ending up dead, but just that like rejection.
1: Yeah. Self hatred. I mean, people instead. aren't being guillotined anymore and stuff, but that's just one arbitrary difference. I feel like people, it's yeah. still really painfully, horribly relevant. And mostly Deeper, just yeah. mostly just in what it's at its core is about, which is one person who has been so damaged by you know internally to the point where they can't they can't be intimate with someone, they can't love someone, mm. their identity's been torn in two, like that's mm. undoubtedly still still happening all the time,
0: and people just rejecting it so much, and like what psych- like what effect that has on their personality and their behavior. Yeah. Towards other people Who knows um, We need to give it a rating I've already given it one Oh yeah <laughs> So you're giving it 10 out of 10 I'm giving it 11 out of 10 <laughs> no, I'll give it I'll give it 10 oysters 10 out of 10 oysters <laughs> okay. Oysters for breakfast
1: <laughs> Breakfast oysters mm. <laughs> Okay so Next we'll be reading oh god no I had it open on my tab and then I googled guillotines in Paris
0: <laughs> do you want me to save you?
1: yeah save
0: okay I'll me. whisper it and then you say it loudly Ethan Frome I didn't hear it no. <laughs> Ethan Frome Ethan Frome by Edith Wharton by
1: e- Edith Wharton sounds like I'm just like controlling you <laughs> So it <laughs> We need to sign off. Oh yeah. How do we do that? We just normally say I dunno. See you next time. <laughs> we don't really have a catchphrase, do we? <laughs> no. We should invent one though. Yeah. <laughs> oh god. On our Instagram says we find the lit, so you don't have to. Oh god,
0: I'm not saying that out <laughs> loud.
1: <laughs> Ever <laughs> Yeah, we need to change that
0: no <laughs> no brand consistency we can't change it again we really changed <laughs> our name once and lost the 10 followers that we had because we just disappeared <laughs> off the face of the earth
1: yeah we're we're like trending we're getting loads of listens really i haven't looked at our stats i told you we had like after i posted that
0: instagram post we had like 10 yeah. listens on one day or something Is that when you looked at Podbean,
1: when you looked at the statistics?
0: Yeah. That's so cool, I need to do that again. And that's with you doing, like, really shit hashtags.
1: I know, my hashtags are so shit. Right, okay. Okay. Goodbye, listeners. Goodbye. (laughs)